special episode of the Hutong Hero, baby. In this episode, we're going to talk about love. So pull up a comfy chair, pour yourself a glass of wine or your favorite juice in a wine glass, baby. And get ready to be taken on a journey. Mmm. A journey of love. Real love. And coincidentally, a real story. Now, let's get close and get ready for the Hutong Hero. Hello and welcome to the Hutong Hero. I'm your host, Ryan Price, and today I think we have something uh, pretty special we're going to bring to you. It's a story, and it's actually my story that I share with a certain special someone that is here today. Hello, you're joined with Ke- today with Carrie. Today with Carrie. Um, <laughs> so, Carrie, we're going to talk about uh, quite a journey we've been on. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because I was actually having my, I was having my Friday conversation with my dad. And uh, we we're talking about just this journey in this past year. My experiences since I left China and what's happened have been really, it's been an eventful year and something that I think would be cool to share because a lot's happened in this year that, you know, it's it's almost on some level supernaturally weird. It just seems like it's been a, a, a an adventure, a journey. It's been fighting and clawing to get certain things done, failing on certain levels, finding ways around certain things to get other things done. And it's just been nonstop, go, 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 trying to figure things out. But really, a story that uh, really personifies not giving up. Yeah, resilience. Resilience. That when you care about something so much, no is just not an answer that you can take. Okay? So that is going to be what this uh, show is about. And because it might be a particularly long show, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this story right now. So Carrie and myself's story starts three years ago. Okay. We had met in Beijing. um, And when we met in Beijing, two years after that, we had been very good friends hanging out quite often. um, Once, twice, three times a month, just uh, with a bunch of friends getting drinks, this kind of thing, but nothing more than just friends. And so, you know, Fast forward to six months before we leave China, this is when we start dating. And uh, it was a pretty interesting time to be, you know, first of all, after being friends for two years and then all of a sudden just jumping into this relationship, uh, it was weird ground to traverse at first because, you know, for any couples out there that have started as really good friends, you know, at first you're like, how do I act around this person? You know, once you decide that you're going to be in a relationship, how do you treat each other? It took some getting used to. Absolutely. She just stared at me for like a second. She's like nodding like, I'm going to kill you for what you said later. <laughs> I've got to play really diplomatic here. <laughs> But yeah, no, we took it slow though. To be fair, we did take it slow. We we jumped in, but it was there was a building block of time where we kind yes. of went from being friends to dating. And so T minus six months. We started dating T minus six months. 
till we leave China. Now, you know, the first three months of that six months was just living in China. And we had a lot of fun. But, you know, before that, we had been living different lifestyles. When we were friends, we had been living different lifestyles. But at this point, once we started dating, it was a, it was a different lifestyle. You know, when you're in a relationship, maybe most nights on like a Friday or a Saturday, you stay home with each other. Or you do things like that, you know. Not, I don't think too many couples run out to the bars on Fridays nights and they're like, we rage! You know, there might be some couples that are like, dude, that's what I'm doing right now with my girl. She's over there getting me shots. But um, Each to their own. Cheers to you. Um, we had a different situation. So three months in, it was, it was a lot of working and a lot of seeing what we could do in China to see if we could make China a long-term stay. Because for me, I had been in China for going on five years, and you had been in for about... Three years. Three years. So this, after we started dating, we decided to change things up. We wanted to pursue a different lifestyle to kind of, in some way, settle down. So we were really pushing to see if careers could go certain directions. And then I think at some point we decided... It was time to look back home towards the West. Mm -hmm. And I was a little, I was a little home, I was a little homesick. How about you? I was, but at the same time, I had a lot of students there, like young students that I'd been teaching for, for some of them for up to three years. So it was, for me, it wasn't just that it was home. There were a lot of like close relationships I had that I knew would be quite difficult to say goodbye to. But at the same time, I also wanted to be able to settle down in the West. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, we decided that with six months left or three months into these six months, we would we would start preparing ourselves for the eventuality of leaving China and trying to go back to the West and make things work out. So it was tough because with this little amount of time that we left ourselves, we had to pay rent, you know, and get that all situated. We had to, of course, keep paying our bills and whatnot for the remainder of the three months. And then on top of this, for anybody that's like moved away, you know, you, you're constantly saying goodbye to people, going out to dinner with folks. And, you know, it's just this back to back, like your friends that you have made. And, and you know, when you live in a foreign country and you've been with these people and you've relied on them so much for your joy your happiness to spend time with them you get so close to them you bond with other people that don't necessarily call this town a home whether they're even chinese or foreigners people that move from a different city to beijing all of us wherever you're from you just tend to get really close you make your family in that city and that's it's really cool and I loved that part because it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're from Russia, if you're from the UK, if you're from the US, if you're from Turkey, that one goes out to my friends. I have so many friends from Turkey. So um, I love you guys. And it doesn't matter where you're from. You just find this kind of common place and you become family. And then when you have to say goodbye, it's one of the hardest things you ever do. But, uh, you know, that's it comes a point in life where all... All roads eventually split in two different directions. And um, 
one of your friends has to go this way and the other friend has to go this way and it's sad but it makes us appreciate what we had mm. yeah yeah absolutely so saying goodbye to a lot of your students carrie saying goodbye to a lot of friends and you had quite a bit of friends over there in fact carrie has had a cat named okay so get this there was a cat that carrie had and this cat eventually when she moved into my place with me before we left Beijing, the cat moved in as well. The cat, the cat's name was Sea Cow. Yes, a cow of the sea. Never swam a day in her life. No, nope. but the sweetest hated water. Hated it. Sweetest little cat you'd ever, and you know what? Sweetest cat you would ever find. She was not little by any way, shape, or form. She was if curvy. It, if anything about the name is not misleading, it's the cow. She was quite a big kitty. So, I mean, you, you eventually you had to leave Sea Cow, but you were able to leave her with a very close friend. And now, now... Now, my friend loves Sea Cow, and she's really happy, healthy. They're doing great in Beijing together. I get regular updates, videos, photos, everything. So I'm glad that she found the right home. Yeah, and to give you an idea, again, of how diverse your your friends and family that you make there are, you know, this person is from a different part of the world again. She's from Russia, right? Yeah. Uh, really nice, sweet girl, and uh, sea cow's in good hands. But, you know, saying goodbye to your cat, that's another thing that was really hard. Um, so, again, fast forward three months left. We're saying goodbye to these people and doing things like, man, you know, it's like, if you live anywhere for more than a year, I don't care who you are. Well, probably there's some weirdos. There's always these weirdos that live on the outliers of, of the spectrum. But for the rest of us, we're, we're pack rats on some level. And we had so much stuff. We hoarded. We, we really hoarded. hoarded. <laughs> we hoarded. We, make sure we add the, the did at the end. Otherwise, it sounds really bad. But we hoarded. We did. And it would have been worse had I not already moved out of my place and left almost everything there even then this was a job but the best part about all this is we lived in this area of china that's called the hutongs very traditional and it's very community-based people um you know it's basically like uh, a big metropolitan area squished in on itself so every alley has a bunch of doors with a bunch of people doing a bunch of things and so basically we just took our stuff and we left it out in the alley. And as I'm taking this stuff out, because Carrie's inside, she's just putting it in boxes. And I come out and I'm like, or I come in the house, I'm like, all right, you got a box? She's like, yeah, I got 15. And I'm like, okay, great. I can't take 15 in one trip, but I will but I can take 10. No, I took like two, all right? And so I take these two boxes out into the alleyway. And as I'm taking them out there, people are already being like, hey, man, uh, is this up for grabs or you guys need this anymore? I'm like, dude, take it. Take it all. And so it was really nice because... Um, a lot of this stuff that we had gotten over the years that we were like, gosh, you know, we, we don't want this stuff to go to waste. People ended up using it and everything was clean and we made sure everything was nice. But it was nice that at the same time we got this peace of mind. Things were finding homes, you know. Absolutely. I think we even had requests for things, which was nice because we actually did have most of those things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, OK, so there was this one point. uh uh, one, to give you kind of like an in-depth little scoop of this, uh, we were putting stuff online as well for people to come grab stuff. And I remember, you know, I might be like 31 years old, 
but uh, I had in, in my heart, I'm still, you know, 15, 16, maybe getting close to 18, but that's pushing it. Anyways, I had a lot of video games and I mean, I had a lot of video games and I had a long board, all this stuff. And one day Carrie's like, hey, somebody's really interested in, uh, in, you know, like I think it was a TV. We had one of our TVs up for sale, but I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do with the games. Anyways, this guy comes over. Um, he's a very nice gentleman. Uh, I believe he was from Africa, super nice guy. And he comes over with his son. And he's asking about the TV and stuff. And I think we ended up saying, you know, uh, we took like 50 RMB off the original price. We ended up because this kid was just like enamored with all the games and all this stuff. I was like, hey, listen, you know, take this longboard, take these games and make this kid's year. And the kid lost his mind. He's like, oh, never going to school, dad. He's like, I'm not sure if the dad was really as appreciative as the kid. But on some level, even the dad was like, dude, is this the new Spider-Man? I'm like, you're right, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Spider-Man. Yeah. So we were able to give some people uh, some people, some great stuff, and they appreciated it. Nothing went to waste. But all of this stuff had to be done within three months. And trust me, you know, on paper, that might sound easier said mm-hmm. than it or, is done. or written than, than done. Yeah. But quite a lot uh, happening there. But, uh, yeah, so then we we decide, okay, we set a date. Yep. We bought tickets. And we decided next stop is Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I have to say here, I've never been to the U.S. before. So for me, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to the U.S. And I think I did do a lot of screaming. When my Esther came through, I jumped up and down in excitement um, and got uh, very uh, excited about going stateside. Stateside. So it was the first time for her to go to the U.S. and the U.S. was home for me. Albuquerque's home for me. But um, this is really where things start to get a, a bit more crazier than um, what you, I mean, based off of what we've already talked about. You're like, man, this is just, I mean, this is a story. But I mean, I don't see why you guys are saying it's the craziest story ever. Well, hold on. Because this is where things get interesting. But before we tell you the rest of this story, you're going to have to listen to this song.
That was Sweet Tides by Latasha. Latasha. That was a calm song. It, it was a very nice song. Um, but moving on. So we set the stage here. We were making a big move. And the, the craziest part about it is before this big move, um, where both of us had spent more than three years in this place, called this place home, China was home, um, we decided that it was time to move on, to try to make it in the West. But the crazy thing is, as anybody can imagine that's been in a relationship, you know, to make such a big move where maybe somebody like Carrie didn't consider the U.S. home, and in fact, this was her first time visiting, to be able to date someone for six months, even though we've known each other for two years before that, to date someone for six months and then move with them to a completely new place. It's um, it's a little bit, it's a lot of bit of an intense thing to do. It is. It's not an easy thing to do. What it's... was going through, I mean, like, what was going through your brain at that time? Because, you know, we were... I mean, it's weird that I don't know this verbatim. I think a lot of this story I could probably say by myself because we, well, I mean, we always talk about it. But, you know, going into the U.S., you had gotten your Esther, which is the visa U.K. people can get to go to the United States. Everything was good to go. Tickets were booked. Well, we had gotten everything situated. And now it was just, it was time to to just wait until the plane came. Right with our four suitcases. So we managed to get everything into four suitcases. For two people is pretty impressive. Um, I think we were wearing about 10 layers each, though. Yeah, we definitely looked like uh, two two sizes bigger than what we normally were because we just wore a lot of clothes, but we we had to. (laughs) We must have looked quite this (laughs) height. Yeah, I don't think I could bend my arms as much, but, uh, you know, small price to pay, so... I mean, but what was that like? You know, basically, we had been dating for six months, and you were about to come with me to the U.S., and you had never been there before, and we are talking about possibly staying. Yeah. You know, it never really crossed my mind to, to, not, to not do it or not go. Like, in my mind, I was like, okay, so where we're going. Like, never really thought too much about it at all. I think, for me, it was more... Once I arrived in the US, I think in my mind I somehow thought it was going to be the same as the UK, but just bigger, Mm. which in some ways it is, but there are a lot of differences. And I mean, even being back in the UK, because I haven't lived here in so long, it's very different to what it, to what Beijing was like. For me, that was home for a long time. Yeah. And I think too, even um, the West is on some level pretty similar. I mean, yes, the UK and the, and the US are very different countries, but when you compare them to maybe a country that's in Asia, like China, you find that there's more similarities. So uh, regardless of this being, you know, a move to a foreign country on some level, it must have felt a little bit familiar, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I watched my fair share of you know, American TV growing uh, up. To, I'll be there for you, friends. Of course, Goosebumps, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Sabrina, the, the classics, really. Sex in the City. Not one of the classics, but okay. Will and Grace. Okay. Any, any other? The Simpsons. Okay. Well, I could go on for days. She could go on for days. But folks, 
we won't, we, this podcast won't last for days, I promise you. Um, so it was a big step, right? Uh, I was going back home with uh, this, this young lady that I was enamored with, but I was going back home to my family. We'd been dating for six months. She was in this position where she was going with a guy she had just been dating for six months and somebody that she just really considered a friend before that. So a lot, I guess, was on the table in the way of, you know, what could what could happen? Really? It was it was throwing caution into the wind. It was very little like calculation and more of just like following your heart. I, I think followed is, my heart. That cliche yes. really makes sense in this story. So anyways, the plane came, we packed up our bags, literally, I think we signed out from our apartment and got our damage deposit back hours before our flight was about to take off, jumped into a taxi. We were at the airport and we were ready to go. So get on the plane and uh, no problems. The flight was pretty Actually, it was pretty smooth. I was petrified. Well, like both of us are. We're both nervous flyers. 12-hour flight, longest flight I've ever been on. Um, And I was going to a country I'd never been to. Like, I was a little bit worried. And, like, we were flying into Americans would have... She thought maybe (laughs) Americans would just be outside the airport shooting our guns in the air, being like, No way to lie, yes. (laughs) Howdy, friend. (laughs) Welcome to America. Um, and sure, there might be parts of the U.S. that are like that. And oddly enough, we did fly into Dallas. <laughs> we did. And like, there were people wearing cowboy hats well, hey, in the it's airport. When in Rome or Dallas, you wear, you wear cowboy hats. So we, we had our transfer flight, basically where she would touch ground and start her domestic part of the journey. The international journey ended in Dallas, uh, Dallas Airport, which is in Texas. All right. So for those of you that don't know, Dallas or Texas in general, is a state that has a very strong culture. I, I actually really appreciate Texas culture. I spent a good time of my life uh, growing up in New Mexico, which is uh, next door neighbors to Texas. And you meet a lot of Texans, they're great people. I, I'm not just saying that. So anyways, we land in Dallas, and Dallas is a huge airport. And anybody that's making a transfer knows, like when you come into an international airport, you know, the first thing you want to do is just shrug off the international trip and be like, whew, when you land in these places, as much as you want to take a, a big sigh of relief and be like, ah, ground, and you just start kissing the floor of the airport. Oh, I missed you, sweet ground. You know that you got to be right back in the air right away. And so Dallas, big airport, you're running over to get on this tram to go to a different terminal to get to your your gate but on the on top of that you're gonna have to go through immigration okay so i think we had like four hours maybe like how much we had i think it was about two hours something crazy like that it was a really tight turnaround yeah so maybe we had two hours right we were booking it folks we are going so fast i'm like carry go um grab our stuff and then you have to basically go through the gates, check in. or So you get off the plane, you go to the international gate, you pick up your baggage, and then you have to recheck everything uh, is normally the routine that I had and, and I think we had in this uh, trip to Dallas. We then proceed to security. 
And as you're going through security and immigration at the U.S., you know, uh, it's a lot of it's electronic now. So we're going through. And I just remember that um, we get up to the guys that are basically they have the stamps or they're, they're allowing you through, you know, the guys that are looking at your documents, looking at you, looking at the documents. And they're like, OK, anyways. Carrie's right behind me. I go through, no problem. I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, it's me, Ryan. We're, I'm an American. He's like, hey, Ryan, nice to see you again. Come on in, buddy. And then Carrie comes up. And, you know, for anybody that hasn't seen Carrie, she's a petite, very cute-looking British girl that obviously talks in a very British way. And, you know, it's charming. Charming. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Aww. pretty charming. So I was a little surprised about what was about to happen, okay? I'm waiting uh, a good good paces away from this place because you know if you get too close they get bent out of shape so i'm waiting a ways back from this area where carrie has now proceeded to talk to this gentleman and i start to notice she's there a little bit longer than uh i was and so i'm like oh no what's going on and so basically this guy uh had told her to go to this room. And I remember I started to get angry and I was like being, I, I started to raise my voice at this guy. I was like, hey man, like, you know, what's going on? What, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. Was, he's like, go, go to this area. And I was, I was pretty livid because I was like, I wanted you to feel welcome in the United States. And I just felt so ashamed that this was your intro uh, to, to my country. And I, I was angry and ashamed I felt like regardless of any problems these guys could have been a little more mm, friendly friendly in yeah. how they handled this Carrie is mortified the look on her face you you were just I honestly thought they were sending me back but back to where I didn't know it was either Beijing or they yeah. were going to put me on a plane to the UK but either way my biggest issue was that I might not be with Ryan, and that was what was mortifying me. Um, it was a scary time, yeah. It was scary. And, like, also, they don't make immigration officers friendly. They don't make immigration, like, office spaces for waiting particularly let's, welcoming. Let's talk about that. So we had to go into this room, which a lot of other people that were probably having the same problem as us were in. None of them looked happy to be there, just like us. And so we go up to the window. This guy's basically, uh, this guy walks up. and He's like, yeah, what's going on here? Uh, what seems to be the issue? And I was like, well, you know, she has her Esther and she has everything that needs to be done. We're not sure what the problem is. And he's like, all right, here's the problem, guy. Um, basically, your, uh, your lady friend here, she didn't book a ticket to go back to her country. So we're just not going to be able to let her in. I was like, excuse me? I was like, this is... This is ridiculous. There, this. Why would we be allowed to get this visa without booking the return ticket? Like, what part of this process, like, made it known that we needed to do this? And on top of this, we had we had looked online to see what was required, and nothing about booking a flight within three months uh, and having to show it to these people to get in was like telling us that it was dependent on her like this having to happen that was the only way she could have been able to get in the u.s so i remember i was livid i think i was yelling at this guy calling people that i knew and then eventually he comes out to the window and he's like all right sir or listen listen um i'm gonna let you go this one time all right go ahead go go through and uh, but next time get the ticket home okay lady 
and Carrie's just uh, you were I think you I had practically had to, melted at that point I was yeah. like so relieved that I was able to actually go through um and also relieved that we might actually make the next leg of our flight yeah we had around about what about an hour I think, or so I think we literally um ran um like a, a 5k and and we tried to do it as fast as we could with a bunch of luggage we ended up getting there uh, with a, like, I think we had 20 minutes to spare and we're like, okay, what do we do? Coffee. Yep. We went straight to the Starbucks. I had so much pleasure using my British card there. Like, it was yes. Visa. Yes. It's all Visa, you know? <laughs> Anyways, so we um, get the coffee, get on the plane. We're sitting there. I'm like, oh my gosh. Wow. Like we didn't expect that to happen, but thank God we made it through. Part of us felt really bad for all the other people that were in that room and we were hoping that they got to their flights that they needed to get to, but we were thankful that we we were able to make this flight. And so, yeah, I mean. So at this point too, after we'd been through this, which was a traumatic experience, we're on another flight. And I had this feeling that we'd have to go through it all again no. when we landed in yeah. Albuquerque. Ryan's like, no, 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 don't worry. I'm like, whoa, we get to walk right out again. Well, okay. so We for, don't do that here. For anybody that... Um, that goes to the Sun Port, which is what the Albuquerque Airport is called, the Sun Port. You know, apart, I've loved, I do love that airport because since I was a kid, I've been using it. But um, I remember that uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tiny it's a tiny airport. I mean, it's not anything like Dallas. It's not anything like SFO, San Francisco's airport. It's nothing like LA's airport. It is tiny. But it's, it's charming in its own way. As soon as you get off the plane, all you see is just New Mexico culture. And when I say New Mexico culture, guys, I'm not talking about Breaking Bad, okay? We're not all a bunch of meth dealers living in trailers and shooting people, all right? And wearing our underwear and with bald heads. And you get the picture. Disclosure. Totally thought I was walking onto the set of Breaking Bad when we landed. And, uh, yeah. yeah, New Mexican culture is nothing like that. Yeah. It's... um. It's actually a lot more Native American. It, there's doubt. It's it's, it's a it's a melting pot yeah. of Caucasian, Hispanic, uh, uh, Latino in general culture, and then you also have Native American culture mm. in it. It's beautiful. Um, but anyways, and very special. And the food's great. But I digress because I'm just jumping into stuff. We're not even there yet. So as we're getting into New Mexico, you know the the captain's like, you hear that ding. We have begun our descent into Albuquerque's Sunport. Uh, weather in the city is looking pretty good. We uh, expect clear skies as we fly in and uh, begin our descent into uh, into the Sunport. And we want to thank you guys so much for flying whatever airline this is, because I forgot. But anyways, thank you so much, and uh, I love you. Um, and so we're going. You know, the captain just said that, and I'm thinking, wow, this is so exciting. Uh, Carrie's going to get to meet my family. and uh, Oh, yeah. After that, so we've just done, like, we've been traveling for what, I mean, must have been close to, uh, like, 24 it's hours at that it's point. Gotta, it's got to be a long time. Yeah, plus a few time zones. And now I'm like... We had just moved out of our place. Yeah. I mean, we, we were pretty dog tired and just like, whoa. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to meet the family. <laughs> Which, you know... Yeah, is, go ahead. I'm listening. It's not <laughs> so as scary when you're a woman, actually. It's a little bit less scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because okay. 
you know, it's a different it's a different vibe of the family of you and vice versa. And also Ryan's family is absolutely lovely. And oh, she's just like saying family. that family. But yeah, they're pretty great. Yeah, um, they are. <laughs> so we get in. And my mom was, I think she was in Florida at the time. She was. She was doing a cross-country road trip to try and get back to see us, I yeah, think. Yeah, she was, she was driving, doing her thing, coming back to Albuquerque from Florida. So we had the first couple nights to stay in Albuquerque with my sister and my brother-in-law, Chris. So first thing, they pick us up at the airport. You know, uh, for anybody that's listened to this podcast, uh, I did an interview with Chris Lino. He's my brother-in-law. I'm 6'3". He's 6'7". So, you know, if, if you think like 6'3 is tall, 6'7 is just ginormous. This guy makes me look like a like a tiny person. But um, Carrie. Oh, my gosh. For someone Carrie, who's you only fit in his five hands, foot tall. Like, oh, <laughs> I literally just entered the like tallest family in the world. We took a classic photo and I literally looked like Thumbelina. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we get in. Everybody's everybody's vibing. And I was really happy to, to see that. And, uh, you know, Chris and my sister are very sweet people. They're like, you know, let's go to dinner. I bet you guys are hungry. And uh, let's get some New Mexican food. You guys, where do you guys want to go? And I was like, well, I know. Um, I forget what the restaurant was called. It was like, uh, oh, no idea. I was still in this like is shameful. all over the place at that moment in time. It was like a New Mexican bean and cheese burritos, tortilla chips, and they have really good salsa. I don't remember the name. And I'm not going to plug it unless they chaos but it was good uh so we go there we're ordering chips and i just you know i remember carrie you you were so amazed at the size of of how big sodas were and you know and just, that you get free refills and that you get free refills i was so amazed by that but like the biggest thing that shocked me was when the lady comes to take our order and everyone else gives their order and I'm sitting there like staring at this menu like, oh my gosh, I've never had New Mexican food before. Like, I don't know what half of this even is. Um, yeah. And then she's like, so do you want green chilies or red chili? And I'm like, I don't know what color chili Or you could have gotten Christmas, which is both oh gosh, green yes. and red chili. <laughs> and I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, I've never been asked what okay. type of chili or I don't know which one I like. I've never had either before. I'm like breaking down on the inside of me. And she's just like, which one? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I think you opted with the green chili. I think I'm already done. The thing is, in New Mexico, very proud about, uh, they're very, very proud about their green chili. So, And it's not necessarily hot. It's actually more of a flavorful thing. So if you ever go, don't be afraid of green chili. It's not going to burn your tongue off. It's actually very tasty. Red chili, really good with stuff like eggs and breakfast stuff. So normally my thing is dinner foods. I mix it up with the red, uh, green, green chili, yeah. Or like pizzas, green chili, so good. But then if you have like eggs or bacon or something like that in the morning, throw some red chili on it. Up a boom, boom. And my tongue's just kind of ma- watering um, with the thought of that. Anyways. Anyway. We had stayed with my sister and Chris in their house uh, in, in Albuquerque, and it was really nice. They live in a nice, peaceful part of Albuquerque. So, Carrie started to get you, you were getting adjusted I to was. the suburban America. And I met little Merlin and Bella. Merlin the pug and Bella the cat. Yep, yep. yep. They were super excited to did see you, us. Did you feel like family life or, or that life in particular that they were kind of vibing with was different from that of maybe their counterparts in the UK? A little bit, yes. So Why? 
it's really hard to actually pinpoint what it is but so the layout of houses and the size of them is I think it lends it to a much more relaxed culture than what we have here in the UK things here tend to be a bit more like go 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 um, but I found that especially in Albuquerque and like with Ryan's family too they're very welcoming and sort of everything seemed to be very like easygoing and it was like don't worry about anything there was never anything to worry about and like that was something that I think is very different to the culture that we sort of seem to exude here yes so it was a nice it was a nice uh, welcome to uh, New Mexico to the United States so then uh, my my mom makes it back to uh, to Albuquerque she picks us up and we drive on to Los Alamos which is where I spent my high school days and, and graduated and something that maybe a lot of people when they hear about Los Alamos, New Mexico, they don't actually know is Los Alamos, New Mexico is like one of the most top secret places in the world. It was where the atom bomb was created and during World War II, nobody knew about it. But this is where Oppenheimer was basically discovering how how to make big bombs. All right. And eventually it led to the big bombs. All right. So. It still has a laboratory that is shrouded in secrecy and the town is, you know, it's like a little, it's like, uh, it's like the Stepford town. Like you go in there, people are like, hey, Tom, hey, Jim, how you doing? Great, blah, blah, blah. And they're walking their perfect dogs down the perfect street. And if anybody like throws a piece of litter on the ground, they're like, hey, pick that up, pal. All right. I don't want to have a problem. This is so true. When I when we were living there, we'd go to Starbucks a lot. It got to the point where I'd walk in and they'd be like, "Hi, Carrie, what do you want today?" And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, they "She know was my like, name. A, she was a she was a celebrity in Los Angeles. She'd just be skipping down the street like, "Oh, everything's so great here in America," and everybody's like, "Wow, British people, they talk so cool and." And they order a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I think I shocked them that I don't drink tea. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe. Broke that stereotype straight away. Anyways, so yeah, we were we made it to Los Alamos. And the thing was, Carrie only had three months. So we knew whatever we had to do, this was the timeline to get it done in. And it was a bit stressful. So as much as we wanted to kind of be like, ah, we, we, we accomplished so much stuff. We were able to... You know, get everything done, leave Beijing the day of our flight, get on the plane, get through this immigration hassle. You know, basically carries doing the U.S. for the first time. We're, it's been a situation, you know. it's It's been something that isn't necessarily like, well, that was no problem. It was it was eventful. So well, we uh, we made it to Los Alamos. This was kind of like the the destination where we started to do things. And um, so as we were there, my mom was like, hey, guys, you know, if you want to take a break, I was thinking of going and visiting, uh, you know, your your grandparents, Ryan, in Arizona, in Lake Havasu. And uh, maybe we could do a road trip of it. And on top of that, you know, on the way, we can take Carrie to the Grand Canyon. Well, why not? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm ahead. like, this is amazing. Like, I get to do all the touristy stuff. And I'll tell you more when we get into this story. Yeah. So, you know, like road trip culture is huge in the U.S., right? It we is. just have long stretches of road with tons of gas stations. The, the infrastructure was meant to be able to drive long distances if you want to. You know, you could fly a plane, you could take a train, but a lot of Americans opt to just sit in their car and make that long journey by themselves. And... 
on some level you get to see a lot of beautiful scenery absolutely so for for someone from the uk like a big thing that we always want to go to america to do is to do a road trip and normally it's like east to west coast kind of thing but i'm just like any road trip is good and like i'm thinking okay so we're going basically from new mexico to arizona it's like the states are practically next to each other right yeah she was like thinking like oh like oh arizona that's next door well judging by england and and and, you know how it relates to like wales and the other parts of the uk this should just be a hop skip and a jump well the u.s was tops the the u.s was is is a vast place so that was a six hour drive 10 10 hours it was 10 hours and i was just like felt like six with you ladies god isn't that lovely i think we played i spy at one point my um, mom did not love that. <laughs> it was like, I'm eventful. not playing. She'd eventually chime in with, it's this, isn't it? And I was like, no, mom. And then she's like, Argh. We're so competitive that this was probably the worst game for us both I to won, play of course, in anyways. a car. Obviously, he didn't win. But anyway, so the scenery is amazing. Like, you can literally just look and you just don't see anything. It's nice. Ever. It's nice. Carrie, can we continue with the story? The because the road... To- oh, my long gosh. long in themselves. Like, it's, it's... For someone that comes from a very small island... The vast just it's a big country. of things is, it's a big country, is quite yeah. mind-boggling. So in, we went... <laughs> I'm done. We went to Arizona. And uh, Arizona, the southwest, the, the climate's dry. It's, it's pretty warm at this time of year during the day. And it's, it's a nice place to live, all right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's comfortable living. So as we're heading there, you know, it's, you stop at gas stations. You pick up a bunch of snacks. You j- jump back in the car. My mom and I are switching off driving. We're playing our iPods, jamming out to music. And it was, it's kind of interesting. You just, it's this peace of mind. It's this very psychologically, I don't know, something about a road trip. You just isolate yourself and you reflect a lot. Really cool. Anyways, we make it to Lake Havasu, Arizona. So some things about Lake Havasu, Arizona that you probably don't know is that Lake Havasu, Arizona is a town that was built around a man-made lake. They decided one day in Arizona, I think it was some person decided, he's like, I'm going to develop this place into like a a resort-like place, a place where people can go for spring break from college and just get wild and crazy. So I'm just going to break this part of a dam and create a bunch of water that flows into this area and it'll be a big lake. That is Lake Havasu. So we get there and... What's really cool, too, is the theme of Lake Havasu is this bridge. It's called London Bridge. And the really cool thing is, you know, the entire time Carrie's there, I'm like, hey, Carrie, the U.S. is pretty cool, huh? Bet you want to bet you want to live here, huh? You know, I was just hoping that she'd be like, yeah, I like it a lot. But, you know, she's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. But the U.K. is, is cooler. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Like we had this back and forth argument just for fun. And it was just for giggles. But anyways, um, you know, it was always like, well, we have this. And then she'd be like, well, we have this, and it, you know, it's back and forth. But I was like in Havasu saying, Hey, Carrie, you know, what we got the London bridge. And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's in London, isn't it? And I'm like, no, it's not in London. It's right here. And in fact, she learned the hard way folks mm, that Ryan is more often right than he is wrong, at least in his own brain that, uh, she read a plaque basically at the London Bridge that said this uh, bridge was imported from London. It is the actual London Bridge. We flew it over here. We built it. It was big. It was great. Everybody loves it. 
and and yeah and it is it's cool and it's like this was the original london bridge mm. i actually thought that that was really amazing especially because before I went to China and today I actually work right on London Bridge so for me it's always held quite you a live, special place you, wait no you work uh-huh. near the old or uh, the new London Bridge yeah. we have the old one I've got London <laughs> Bridge in the title of the building that I work in number <laughs> one London Bridge it should be the new London Bridge building I know. Because newer, better, old, bigger, better fine, newer, whatever, bigger, whatever. better, better Say we have tradition when we bought it and flew it over to the US <laughs> and rebuilt it so, you just uh, want to be like us, basically. She got to meet my grandparents. It was really nice. Uh, I just remember, you know, it was kind of weird because, uh, first of all, another part about Lake Havasu is it's an older community. Uh, people, a lot of people go there to just like once they've kind of worked, you know, their most of their life, they like to retire there. So it's just a nice place to live. And so um, a lot of these people are in you know seniors and um i remember we would go to like pick up groceries for my grandfather and my grandma and uh we were walking in like the walmart we're getting stuff and i see this old this older gentleman looking at carrie and then looking at me and i think he was a veteran because he was wearing a veteran hat he walks up to me he he elbows me with his elbow and he's like hey she's a keeper man and i was like i was like what okay thank you sir and he's like yeah and then he, he walks away. And I was like, wow, that's, that was weird. And then, you know, I go, we, we were hanging out with my grandparents. And I just remember uh, my grandfather also, he, he was like, hey, you know. He's like, hey, Rye, hey, Rye. Because he calls me Rye. He's like, hey, Rye, come here. He's like, hey. And looking around to see if Carrie's around. He's like, I don't want to blow this for you, but I think she's a keeper, you know. Hey, you know what I mean? And I was like. I was like, stamp of approval across the board. Things are looking great. We finished up our time in Havasu. It was a really good time. It was a really good time. I really enjoyed Havasu. Carrie tried to throw me in the pool. Nope. Did a reversal. Smack down throw in the pool. And it was a bit cold. I must admit I learned my lesson. Do not try and push a six foot three man into a freezing cold pool of water. Most people don't, don't have pause before you most do it. People don't have to learn these lessons, but Carrie does. So we <laughs> doesn't so, matter how big you are, I'll try. Can I finish? Can I finish? Okay. Can I finish? Okay, I finish. Um so we leave. Uh, it was a nice time, but it was time to go. So next stop, Grand Canyon. We get to the Grand Canyon, really magical. You know, this whole time, uh, Carrie, myself, and my mom, we're all hanging out. My mom's getting to know Carrie so well. They're they're almost getting along better than my mom and myself get along. Carrie and I would be arguing, and my mom would be like, yeah, Carrie's right, Ryan, just just stop, okay? And I'm like, but I'm your son. Yeah, it's true, women stick together. Listen, okay? (laughs) You stole my mom, moving on. (laughs) All right, so we, you know, we went to the Grand Canyon, and I mean, I thought it was. I, I loved I've seen it. it several times, but the thing about the Grand Canyon is, uh, you know, somebody could describe it to you like we're gonna do, but it's just one of those things you, you gotta trust us. You um, gotta go and see. And it nothing yourself. we say will do it justice. It is amazing. It is so vast. But don't stand near the edge because you totally can. You can oh, go. You can. You can go right up to the edge and basically fall like two Empire State Buildings worth distance and die. Right. And it, <laughs> no, there's no guardrail because that canyon's mm-hmm. way too huge. 
So if you want to do that, that's your choice. And it was nice knowing you. Carrie also tried to do this. I totally was like, you know what would be a really cool photo to stand right near the edge and then like on one leg pretend to fall down and get someone to take a photo of me. Yep, my mom didn't love that. She's like, Carrie, Carrie, (laughs) Carrie, get back. I am not telling your parents that you did this. No. Yeah, I, she shouted at me just like I was her own daughter. Yep. I felt scared. Mm. I was and scared. I smiled. <laughs> yes, he did. He laughed and, behind me. Anyways, so uh, we had left uh, the Grand Canyon. Now it's time to continue our drive home. And I don't, no, hold on, because she's real excited. I'm, I'll let you get into this, okay? But I'm, I'm doing most of the leg home. I'm driving most of the trip home because, um, you know, I just, I wanted to do that for my mom and, as which was a big mistake now that I think about it, because this meant my uh, my mom and Carrie could just kind of vibe. And my mom has the iPod. She's playing all the hits from the Eagles and stuff. And she's like, Ryan, what do you think if we stop at uh, Winslow, Arizona? You know, going down to <laughs> Winslow, Arizona. Such a fine Find sight to see. see. It's, it's a girl, girl my lord, in a flatbed for slowing down, down to take a look at, at me. me. Come on, baby. That, okay, thank you. Standing Carrie, thank you. Standing on the you. corner no, of Queenslow, Arizona. Stop. You just said, okay. Okay. Anyways, so that song made that place way more popular than it should ever be. Because let me tell you, you go to Winslow, Arizona, and it is a small, small, small town. But It is. It's very Guaranteed, cool. there is a corner of that town, and they have basically that uh red pickup truck that has a fine girl and some dude statue of a dude playing a guitar they they really do it up there so we went there and they have a signpost and it actually says standing on the corner and like so you can actually stand and then you can start singing the song while you're standing on the corner of winslow arizona you can sing the song the corner is there it's amazing it was it was something um so after taking a lot of pictures and basically just being like we were at the corner of Winslow Arizona yeah I loved it It wasn't such a fine sight to see but it was something um anyways now we're coming back into Los Alamos and things have been pretty great so far but this is where things take a, a different turn and where things and struggles really start to kind of fall on the plate. Everything before this was, it had its ups and downs, but it seemed to be panning out for us. Our, our thoughts at the time were, hey, maybe this is going to work out. Maybe this is what we needed to do. Maybe we're on the right track. But as you'll find out after this song break, sometimes what we think is the reality is often not what reality is. So, uh, Here's a song, and then right after, we'll tell you about the story.
That was Nat Keefe with the bow ties, the song Sally Gooden. Um, I like that song. It's a good I, one. I clicked my heels to it. I mean, it gets, it wants, you want to get up and just have a good old fashioned hoedown. Absolutely. You know what it reminds me of is if I was watching the Titanic yeah. and, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio invited me to a romantic uh, time in the bottom of the boat with all the, sorry, poor people. And they just, they have the best time ever, you know, and they're dancing around and everybody's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and you'd be like, just cheesing with the old This is remind, It reminds me of a romantic evening with Leo. Right. Beautiful. Hint, hint, hint Leo. You just let me know and I'll uh, disappear. I'm sure he's listening in. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. He is. He is. <laughs> Leo, I'll find you. <laughs> Back to the story, Leo, so you know what's at stake here. <laughs> So uh, where do we leave off? Oh, that song obviously is depicting a pretty epic road trip, and you can just imagine my mom being like, "Yeah, because she sounds just like that." I'm gonna tell you, you said that. I probably don't have to. She might listen to this, and uh, in which case, I will be strangled, uh, and whenever she can get to me. Anyways, so we get back to Los Alamos, back to the town of lab coats and. And uh, and curtain, you're messing up my vibe, man. You're messing up my flow. All right, back to the town of lab coats, and I was gonna say something else that starts with an L, but I'm just gonna say nerds. (laughs) Lab coats and nerds. It's, I mean, that's synonymous with um, Los Alamos. There's a lot of those kind of people there, I think. Yeah. I know because I've lived there. Doesn't it have like the most PhDs per? Listen, there's a lot. Yeah, it's like has the most PhDs of any place in the world. This, to give you an idea, yeah, this place has the most learned people in the world, in in density wise. All right, so the most smart people that have the most educations and like stuff, they all basically live in this tight community, and it makes them the most dense nerd population in the world. Okay. Um, and one in every three people in Los Alamos is a millionaire. Wow. So kids, pays off to know your stuff. <laughs> Don't be like me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I like doing I, the podcast. And <laughs> well, you see, this is I, I why we when you call me a nerd, this, I'm I think like, we need no, to continue the story. Okay. okay, let's continue, Bob. So we, oh, gosh, how many times have I said, so we're back in Los Alamos. And it's a mad dash to start applying to jobs and trying to figure stuff out. You know, for Carrie, it's definitely an uphill battle because she's never been to the U.S. before. She can't claim that on any of her resumes. But she's hanging with the best of them, getting stuff done. We're rewriting resumes, cover letters, redoing LinkedIn, taking LinkedIn photos, you know, headshots, all this different stuff, really trying to spruce things up in the quickest amount of time possible pretty stressful. And on top of this, I had, you know, I, we were staying off the good graces of my mom. Um, bless her soul. She's amazing. But we had a good chunk of money that we had saved. But this money, uh, you know, you can only transfer a certain amount of, you know, currency from one country to the other country. So from China to the U.S. a day. And even then, we had to we had to like use the inter- we had to use internets and apps and all this different kind of stuff to to get money from my Chinese bank account, which we had like fifteen thousand dollars in, 
and get that over into the U.S. to be able to live off of. It was a process. Um, and so we couldn't initially just do that right off the bat. It's not as easy as moving from one country to the other. You also have to worry about if you have money stuck in this currency, it's going to take time to get it to the other currency. So my mom was putting us up. It was really nice. But unfortunately, uh, you know, my mom is not the only person that lives in the house that, uh, that was my home in, in Los Alamos. So my mom and my, uh, she's married to my stepdad. And uh, John's a nice guy. But um, John also, and John and I have a complicated relationship. And um, John is very much about uh, uh, this point in his life where he wants to kind of enjoy uh, being retired and doing things. And, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily... Uh, he didn't want anybody staying at his house while he's trying to do these kind of things. So this created a friction where he was basically thinking, okay, I, I mean, I understand that you guys need a place to stay for X amount of time, but um, I have plans and I want to do them. So unfortunately, this just isn't lining up with what I want. And so, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily love this idea. And this, um, you know, this... This happens, you know, people want different things in life and uh, you just, you deal with it the best way you can um, and in a, in a respectful way. And so after this, you can imagine that um, it was time, it was time for us to find a new place to, to go live. Um, so it was back to Albuquerque to stay in an Airbnb on the outskirts of Albuquerque in a farm, which was interesting, but I mean, to paint a picture, we were still trying to, I was like, we had a month and a half. No, we had two months left. We had only been in uh, the United States for a month and we had to leave my house in Albuquerque because of this kind of friction. So we went to, or my house in Los Alamos, right? And so we had to go to Albuquerque and uh, we got this Airbnb for a month to just kind of find some stability in our lives. So we're like, oh, maybe this will work out. That's what we were thinking. We're like, this is a bigger city. Albuquerque is the biggest city in uh, New Mexico. It has the most opportunities, so let's do this. And as soon as we stay, start staying on this farm out in, uh, near the, the Bosque, near the, uh, the kind of farmland, near the Rio Grande, which is a big river that goes through Albuquerque, while we're staying out there, we're thinking, this will be nice. It's really quiet, really, really quiet out there, really beautiful. And um, we'll stay in this Airbnb and we'll just start working on our, our stuff. We'll, uh, we'll get, we'll get, I hope to God we get something because mm -hmm. if not, we don't know what we're going to do. But we're still holding true to the fact that something's going to work out. And I'm, I'm going to jump in here and just, you know, also highlight that we're under an extreme amount of pressure and stress at that moment in time. Like how yeah, I mean, beautiful like, it was. We had a finite amount of money that we had. Um, we were now, you know, paying for this uh, new life of on our own. And so, I mean, uh, money was going and it wasn't coming in. And on top of this, uh, we had not as much time. Uh, to make things work out. And so now we're, you know, we're in Albuquerque. We're staying on this farm. It's peaceful. It's nice. We're getting work done. But um, 
you know, the process and, and the road was still ahead of us. A lot of what we had to do still needed to be done. So it was shortly after we arrived there that I had an interview for Albuquerque Public Schools um, to train as a teacher for one year and to then work for two years within one of their public schools. Um, so Albuquerque's public schools generally tend to work a lot with students um, for from a wide variety of backgrounds, but a lot of them have English as a second language. And as I taught English before in China to students with English as a second language, um, it seemed like a really ideal thing to go for. Um, so I went for the interview, everything went great. And I think it was about a week later that I got told that I had got through the interview process. Um, they wanted me on board. Everything sounded great. Um, so this this thing was, she would, uh, the she she got accepted into this program where she would teach for Albuquerque Public Schools, and then in doing so, she would start a master's degree at uh, the University of New Mexico, and the University of New Mexico would give her a student visa. She would be able to, you know, take classes, get her master's in education, and then on top of that, you know, the she would be teaching she'd have some kind of an income that would come from what she would be doing at uh for albuquerque public schools but the deal was also the the kind of like catch to this was after you finish your degree which is a year then you have to stay in in albuquerque for two years to continue teaching at these schools to kind of pay off what's been given to you which is uh basically a master's for free so she was, she had basically, long story short, she had managed to get this, uh, get into this program. And so this happened while we were staying in, um, while we were staying in this farm and, and off the outskirts of Albuquerque. And I, uh, I was applying to places right and left. Um, nothing really amazing happened on my end. But you know, this, this time period, every day, waking up at the, the crack of dawn, you know, uh, printing, I would go print out resumes to go drop off at radio stations, Carrie's studying for these tests to basically, you have to take these tests to get accepted into the program. And she had this test coming up uh, in two weeks. And so none of this was like relaxing farm living. It was like, oh my gosh, go, go, go. And then on top of that, we were trying to go to bed at night. And, you know, when you put your head down, the world just seems to start flowing around in your head and it's hard to sleep. You just, all you think about is your problems. It's, it's really hard to be able to shut your eyes and kind of peacefully nod off. It's more like you shut your eyes and all of a sudden the reality of your situation just becomes much more real. So we're going through this. It's tough, but uh, we start to see maybe something's going to pan out. Carrie, is going to get this visa. This was the biggest battle that needed to be won, was that if we can get Carrie this visa, then she can come back to the U.S. She'd be here for three years, and in that time, I can easily find a job as being an American. You know, I don't have to worry about sponsorships or anything like that. I'm back home. All you have to do is file my paperwork, and boom, I'm there. So this, things started to look up at this point, and as they started to look up, we decided that, okay, maybe Albuquerque is going to be a bit of a longer stay than um, maybe originally intended. 
because three years, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I would have stayed for one year for my master's training and then had a work visa to carry me over the next two years so that I would stay. Um, so we started looking for apartments in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah in Albuquerque, sorry. Yeah, we found uh, we found uh, uh, we found some apartments. It was it was a good deal. Um, and we bought a car. <laughs> we we not had gone- just any car. You bought like a like a big. We got we got Jeep. a nice it was a nice Jeep Cherokee so we got a car we we got an apartment we you know we furnished it things were starting to pan out to maybe this kind of calm lifestyle it's like it's that part in the movie where you know like oh you start you you suddenly see that maybe this big long struggle of two people one not being from this country but both living in a country where they're foreigners move to like uh, another place and. They're trying. They're trying to make it home, and suddenly it seems like, you know, things are working out. You know, they've had their ups and downs, and they had to go, you know, live in a place that wasn't home in an Airbnb, not knowing what their next move was going to be, and things just seem like they could either go left or right, you know, uh, up or down, but it seemed like it might be going up, and so we decided to start planning on that and that meant uh settling down in the area and it was a nice period of time you know well everybody knows when you're kind of setting up shop setting up house decorating it making it yours making it hers it's this process where both of you are kind of like making a home with each other it's a magical experience but eventually the time came where you had to go back and we'll go back to the uk and start doing this visa stuff yeah so um, I was planning to come back for just a month um, because that's how long it should be. You were planning to be in the UK for a month. Yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. Planning to be here for one month. Um, no longer. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, as we both were, that I would go back to the US. Because um, the school had told you everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Just go to the UK, drop off the paperwork at the US Embassy, get your student visa, get back here easy shouldn't be any problems at all um so that's what i went off to do um and of course coming back to the uk was always going to be quite difficult because like emotionally for me because i'd been in china for three and a half years then i'd been in the us for three months so i hadn't spent a prolonged period of time in the uk for years um yeah, we just set up a bunch of stuff. You know, the feeling was excitement. We were ready to get this kind of lifestyle started. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think for me, I always, I'm someone who gets very, you know, yeah. nervous about things going right. So um, obviously I took every single step plus 30 billion more possible to make sure everything would pan out as yeah. well as possible. And yeah. um, so. So long story short, it didn't work out. Um, we were assured everything would be just easy going, that uh, certain paperwork would just need to be dropped off, certain things would need to be done, and then once those things were done, it was not, not let, left up to anybody's judgment. It was just, you do these things, you'll get where you need to be. But eventually you had to do your visa interview, and um, these, these guys at the, the U.S. Embassy just, uh, they weren't on the same page with uh, UNM. And so we were, I remember when you called me and told me this news. I was expecting a call that day. 
you know, staying in that apartment that we had had together that, uh, you know, that basically you were looking at tickets to come back. Yeah. Um, that's what I should have been calling to say. Unfortunately, um, I had to call and say, no, they didn't approve my visa. Um, and that was really hard. How did that, like, you know, it's not just a feeling of like, oh, I didn't get, uh, like I didn't get in. It's it's almost a personal feeling, right? Of course, yeah. I mean, you take it personally on one level that, you know, you kind of expect that coming from the UK that you wouldn't be rejected from from a student visa. Because um, the countries are close. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. really close, of course. But more than that, it's that sudden, like, heart-dropping, sickening feeling of what happens next. Like, this is... I'm not going to be able to see the person I love in the next two weeks. I don't know when I'm going to see them. It's like having the whole of your world just ripped out from under your feet by someone else, someone that's not even you, someone who gets to make this decision about what is going to happen with your life, the life that you are already in the process of making, and suddenly that decision's not yours anymore. And and also why? why? Why did they not think I was good enough? Or why didn't they... Grant me this opportunity. What about me was not okay? You know, this kind of feeling that I imagine a lot of people have to go through. Um, and it's it's not just something you shake off. It's not like an interview at a company or, or, or something, you know, you get a call back the next day. Sorry, you know, we, we, we're not proceeding with your application. It's so much more, uh, especially under the circumstances that we were in. So I remember... You know, you called me. She was really upset. I mean, one of the few times I've seen her as upset as that, I can only count on one hand. And even then, uh, closer to one than five. So it was a big deal. Um, And it was this, again, like you said, this feeling of, you know, you you feel like you've done so much with someone. You were friends with them and close with them for two years in a foreign country. You confided in each other. You you leaned on each other when things were hard. And that person was there for you. And it was something that blossomed into something much more. And eventually, you know, as you've gone through this kind of up and down process of coming into the U.S. and looking for a way to make a life there, to eventually find something that isn't your ideal scenario, but it's something, and you're willing to give up three years of your life to basically, you know, be able to work and live uh, with someone that you really care about, um, you know, and and to find out that that didn't work out, that the apartment that you had with that person, the life you were planning to leave or the, the life you were planning to live with that person. Suddenly, all of these things that you thought definitely were going to happen sweeped out so quick, just with one decision. And you're left trying to pick up the pieces. And so this was the phone call. And I was sitting in this house or this apartment that we had gotten together thinking, oh, man, you know, I can't wait when she comes back. Maybe I can you know, build this or, or make this in the new apartment, or maybe I can do something special. Um, and then to get that call and basically just feel like the loneliest person 
in the world in that apartment. I hated it. And so it was, it was really hard, even on the other end, as someone that didn't get the rejection but still felt it pretty, pretty deep. So this was probably a rock bottom for us. Um, after that call, we didn't really know what to say to each other because we didn't know what to do. It was, do we continue to try to find a, a whole new plan to make this life together? And where do we even start? And we've gone through so much and we've gotten nowhere. In fact, we feel like we've fallen two, two steps back. Where, what do we do? And God, you're calling everybody you know in your family. You're calling your parents. You're calling your grandparents. You're calling anybody on this planet that can give you some advice saying, please tell me you've been in this situation. Please tell me what to do and what to make of it because I don't know. And then you hear from their mouths, these people that have always been your guidance, someone that's always tried to tell you what the right thing to do is that they don't know. And suddenly life just becomes nuts. It's something you don't know how to make sense of. I feel like that perfectly describes. Yeah. Like, and it's true. No one at all, the same on this side, like no one could offer advice or at least the advice that I wanted to hear because in a way it's something that you can only decide between the two of you as a couple. How Right. It's like Romeo and Juliet. You know, their families can tell them, yeah, just, you know, there's other fish in the sea. Just, just let it go, you know? And, uh, they never they obviously never understood their 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 kids their mm. the, Romeo or Juliet and eventually that led to their downfall right but this story that's popular around the world and adapted in so many different ways tells tells exactly what we're talking about is that don't ever look for understanding in anybody else even your family because the person that will only ever understand this situation to the level and, and the extent that you feel it is you. And you could make a huge mistake by listening to somebody else. You know, Romeo and Juliet, I don't think they would have taken one thing back. They would have tried their best to be together, no matter what. And so um, this is where we were at. And it was a pretty, pretty crummy place to be. And we were both were thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of our run. We had all these plans and and doesn't seem like any of them are going to come true. Suddenly you start getting not just upset at people around you, but looking for higher powers or, or anything to, to basically hold a grudge against because on some level it just feels like this can't be coincidence. So this is, this is definitely the bottom of the barrel and uh, we're going to play a song.
That was Wander Into by Anne Annie. So, you know, where we left off, it was uh, it was a tough time. I would describe it as a fallout, like a nuclear fallout. Your emotions, your world, everything. Nuked. Your, your spaghetti that you saved in the refrigerator. Nuked. Because you didn't want to cook anything. Because you were so sad. Because your world just got nuked. Give me a chance and I will find a way to incorporate nuked into everything. I'll take you up on that. I believe you believe that I'm not lying. Anyways, it was a tough time. Um, and I think, you know, when we kind of, for the first time I, I can remember, um, you know, nothing like this happening before, getting off the phone with you and not knowing if I would be making calls to you again. Not really sure that after we hung up that phone, after that rejection, whether or not um, this was, you know, this person that was in my life uh, would continue to be in it. I just, it was tough. Because I think, too, on a mental note, I had to separate myself from it because I felt the world just won't let us be together. This is crazy. Mm. I got so angry, you know, I, I really got angry. Um, but I didn't know what to get angry at. I mean, where do you start, right? And so uh, I remember during this period, I think it was about two weeks, where it was just, I think we talked, text messaging mostly, but we didn't really want to talk, like talk, mm-hmm. talk like phone conversations because mm, it was just maybe a bit painful. We didn't know what to make of the situation. So, yeah, it was about two weeks of this. And um, for me, it was, I was, I was definitely not in a good place. (laughs) I think I spent a lot of time on my couch and a lot of time just kind of zoning off and whatever way I could think of trying to self-medicate, you know? Yeah. I found it hard to, because I was at home. Like, it was so hard to let any emotion out or to really be able to indulge in wanting to just give up and collapse. Like, I just, I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't do so much because I, you know, I was living with my mum and dad. Like, and that in itself was hard to get my head around too, sort of, looking at it being like gosh am I gonna am I is that it am I do I have to stay in the UK like am I ever gonna see this guy again that I've tried to build a life with and he's now been ripped out of that and I think that's why it was so hard to talk for a while first because it was like painful just to have to hear each other's voices and not know if we'd ever see each other again or however long that was going to be like at that moment in time we had no idea yeah don't worry, folks. I mean, we're talking to you now together. There's yes. this <laughs> Things didn't end like this, but um, this is where it got probably the hardest because there was no backup plan. There was no plan B. This was the plan, and it didn't work. And so 
it wasn't just back to the drawing board. It was where to, like, where is the drawing board? We didn't even know, like, what board to even start writing on. Was it the U.S.? Was it the U.K.? Was it another country? Well, you know, where where do we start drawing up these plans? It's not something that you can just, uh, you know, it's not something that you just decide in an hour, like uh, what I want for dinner. <laughs> if only, right? But, uh, so after a period of time, you know, about two weeks, I think, you go through that fallout phase where you basically are, I think in some level, tested. You have to kind of self-medicate. You have to fall into your head. You can't look to other people to tell you what to do because whatever they tell you to do is it's going to be wrong. It has to come from you even if it feels wrong, even if it feels right. It's just needs to be you and nobody else. So you have to go through this. And when you go through it, this almost kind of metamorphosis of a decision. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not talking to this person like I normally would. And how does that feel? Can I do this for the rest of my life? What's the next step if I'm not with this person? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And you start asking yourself these questions. But I think in these kind of questions that you present to yourself, instead of looking for other people, looking to other people for advice, you start asking yourself these series of questions. And by answering so many of them, it paints a picture each question a like a, a a paintbrush stroke on a picture at first you have no clue what you're drawing or what you're painting you're just each question you ask is a stroke of the brush and with each stroke of the brush the image becomes clear of what you need of what you want and for me i decided that my career um, my life in the U.S., and my friends in the U.S., these things were important to me. But, and they've always, you know, they've always been something that I held as often the most important thing to me. But it was crazy because at this time in my life, I realized that these things would not make me happy. That living for these things would make me really feel lost. No ambition. Even if it was a career, even if it was staying around friends, these kind of things, it, it wouldn't take me to that place. So I realized, whatever I do, I got to do something to be with this person. It's, I don't care if I look like a fool I don't care if I ruin my life. I don't care what happens. As long as I try and whatever whatever comes from it comes, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't lay in a bed knowing I didn't go for it. So at that moment, I felt like I don't care what drawing board we we start to draw on. I don't care at all. Just whatever drawing board is there, I'm I'm ready to start planning. I think we yeah. started drawing on a lot of boards all at once, actually. <laughs> well, eventually we decided that some things kind of... We decided at first that we wouldn't 
decide on the board just yet. What we would do is we would decide that we wanted to make this work. And as long as we both were on that same page, then, um, then at least we both were looking in that direction. And at least knowing the other person is looking in that direction, you know that, you know, because it's a, it's a dance. It requires two people. So you know that this person's willing to dance the dance with you and be able to, you know, figure it out with you. You're not on your own. And so we, we, we started a team effort and looking at all these different things each day was, okay, how about this idea? Okay, if we do this, what does this do? Okay, so what about this? Okay, so what if we start looking at this area? Bouncing things back and forth, playing this tennis game of what, what, if I hit this over to you, what do you think of it? What would you wanna do? What would we make of it? And then hitting it back and just returning these things and eventually uh, we'd have a winner of maybe a plan that we would want to go with. So um, it eventually, oddly enough, it, it worked out in a serendipitous way, I would say, because I just, the word sounds nice to it describe this It's one of those few times situation. when serendipitous goes in. So I had landed a job in New Mexico, um, in Albuquerque. And the job was at a place called Intellitech, a wonderful company that uh, they do a lot of work in the Southwest and uh, they um, offer higher education to professionals um, to help them polish up their skills. And I think I've talked about it in a previous podcast, but uh, a really nice place. And I was their uh, communication specialist. And I'd, I'd got this job. It was a great job. People I worked with, really sweet and lovely people. But uh, the thing about this gig is as I accepted it, and I didn't initially know, but maybe a couple weeks in, they're like, okay, so, you know, you're hired as a, a, a temporary employee for like a month and for a month and like three weeks or something like that. Like almost, let's say like two months. So, you know, a couple weeks in, I realized that I had two week, or two months work worth of work. And uh, at first I was a little worried, but then it was like, like I said, serendipitous. It was a eureka moment. I was talking to Carrie. She just got, uh, she just got a job at a very prestigious law firm in London and things started to pan out for her where she was making, you know, um, money that uh, was on par with what we made in Beijing. Things were looking better on that front and for me, I was making money in New Mexico, but we decided that because my job kind of had this tenuous um, point where I wouldn't be able to continue doing what I did, um, that maybe I would try to come to the UK and uh, and try to make it here, try to basically do the, the carry version of uh, her trip to the US, but kind of switch spots. And I think this was a big moment for us because, <clears throat> folks, I wouldn't have done anything any different. And uh, 
it was a moment that even though it was I mean still we're figuring stuff out but in this moment just having that just having a plan gave me so much hope it was uh it was a big thing yeah <laughs> yeah, gave me hope too. I was definitely a point at which I was incredibly lost. But as soon as we formulated this plan, it was like, right, this is it. We're going to make this work. Even if everything itself had been so much against us, it suddenly made made me realize at least that just was, sort of yeah. being strong and not giving up on what you want was what would get you there. It was easy to give up in that situation. It was easy to call it quits. But again, nothing worth having is ever easy. And so, you know, the situation was far from figuring something out. Again, the idea was I wouldn't uh, be working at a certain point in time. I'd make as much money as I could in New Mexico and then jump on a plane and come to try to make it in the UK. And uh, yeah, so this is getting closer to where we are currently in this timeline. Um, I've been in the UK for about a month now. Things have been better just being together. Yeah, it's a lot easier to, to make a plan of what to do next when you're together because it's part of being a team. And it's really hard to work as a team when you're thousands of miles apart. But when you're... But not impossible. It's not impossible. We proved that that was not impossible. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we were away... This this plan to come to the UK was four months in the making, the better part of a half a year. So closer to half a year than, than the later of like yeah. a month. So... We spent a lot of time from each other, uh, away from each other, but always reminding ourselves that we had a plan, that there was hope, that this separation of whatever was happening in this world, whatever institution just was making this, this so impossible that we wouldn't just take it, that this isn't right, and that no government, no person on this planet gets to tell you who you get to be with because that's that's the most wrong thing I could ever think of and so I guess on some level we're trying to make this happen and like I said now we're in the UK the four months have passed it's it's been a journey (laughs) and now I'm here and I'm I'm looking for work and um you know spending time with Carrie and and producing this podcast and, you know, trying trying to make things work. But, you know, the crazy thing is, folks, a lot of people would look at my situation and say, man, you had a job and then you just lost it. Like, what are you so happy about, you fool? And I would say, man, you are the biggest fool because you will spend the rest of your life thinking that a job and money will take you to a place of happiness where people will only ever surround you because of your money, but never genuinely like you or genuinely care about you or genuinely have anything in your life that is genuine. When you have something genuine, you sacrifice everything for it and you hope that it works out because anything, anything less 
uh, you'll be the poorest man in the world. So that's that's the story. The epic story. The story thus far of Carrie and Ryan. Yeah, and who knows? We might even update you all on a part two when it happens. Yeah, if you got the time. But um, listen, folks, um, we're not going to play another song, but um, we hope that you enjoyed this story, and I hope that maybe from from this very long struggle that we've been struggling in, that maybe there's some things you can take away and that um, maybe there's some inspiration or motivation that lets you know that things will get hard on a journey of what feels right and you feel should happen, that it feels like it should be easy because of how right it feels. But if it's going to happen, it won't always be easy. But that won't matter if you really want it because you'll make it happen and everything else is just white noise. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Hutong Hero. Goodbye.